0: And I'm going to be preaching to you this morning on this subject, the walk home, the walk home. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to be here today. Lord, I thank you so much for this, this school, and Lord, for what it stands for, and Lord, just for the, all the men that you have brought through here throughout the years who, who have served you faithfully. God, I thank you that, 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 Lord, you allow a place like this to exist, a place that is so focused on the Word of God and so focused on, on worshiping you. And Lord, we pray today as we have gathered in here, Lord, that that will be our focus, God, that our whole, every attention, every thought, everything that is within us, God, will be focused on you and you alone. Father, I pray that I would decrease, I pray that you would increase, and Father, I pray right now that you will come and speak to us from your word, and God, we ask all of these things in your wonderful and beautiful and matchless name, amen. When we lived in Kentucky, we were about six hours from our family. Now, that may not sound too bad to you guys, but we also had uh, some very small kids who never got to see their grandparents. And so, thankfully, in each place that we have lived, God has provided wonderfully for our family some people that have kind of been standing grandparents. And so we had this one couple, Bill and Karen Gilpin, who lived about a half a mile away from us, and they fell in love with my kids from the very start. And basically, just to be honest with you, spoiled them rotten. I mean, they were, they were standing grandparents, but probably a little worse than regular grandparents because, I mean, you know, they, were, they, they weren't connected to us at all, so they were always spoiling my kids. You know, I'll never forget when my son Isaac was about three and a half years old, Karen comes over and she says, you think Isaac could spend the night with us tonight? I said, sure. I said, I think that'll be a great experience for him. And I said, you know, we're not that far away. And, you know, he loves you guys. He loves spending time with you all. And I'm sure it's going to be great for him. Sure, he's going to just have a, you know, beautiful time. And I said, you know, if something happens, call us. And so, like I said, they spoiled this kid rotten. And so the reality of him wanting to come home was not on our radar screen at all. And so, you know, he leaves, and, you know, we kind of turn our attention to our daughter who is, you know, you know very small at times. She's just a little over a year old, and, you know, so we're thinking, well, we can kind of spend some good time with her. And, you know, we go to bed, at 11.30 p.m., my phone rings, and it's Karen. And I said, what's going on? And she says, well, Isaac says he wants to come home. And I said, well, why? She said, I don't know. She said, we've tried bribing him. She said, we tried saying, you know, you know I'll give you this, or I'll do this for you. And nothing worked. She said, he still wants to come home home, even even at this particular point. And she said, he's so serious about coming home, he says, look, if you won't take me, I can walk. Now, this is a a three-and-a-half-year-old who says, I'm going to walk a half a mile home in the dark across a busy highway. He was bound and determined to get back home to his mom and dad. Now, I shared that story with you this morning because I believe that there is something inside of us that pulls us towards home, doesn't it? And when I say home, I'm not talking about, you know, your earthly home. We all enjoy being earthly, you know, you know at our earthly home. You know, I enjoy going home and seeing my parents and seeing my grandmother, and, you know, those type of things. But the home I'm talking about specifically is heaven. There is something inside of us that from the very moment that we begin to trust Christ starts pulling us towards home. And we spend the rest of our lives on this journey walking there and wanting to get there. If you've been in ministry any length of time at all, I know that you've had this conversation with a dying saint, someone who is, you know, maybe ready to draw their last few breaths and they look at you and, you know, they say, I'm just ready to go home. I'm just ready to get there. Like I said, I know we've all been there. I know we've all experienced it. But the reality of this journey home is not easy, is it? Wouldn't it be great, I mean, guys, just think about it. Wouldn't it be great if when you answer the call to ministry and you said, yes, God, I'll serve, yes, God, I'll go wherever, you know, we sang in that song, Lord, you know, know, use this ransom life any way that you choose. I mean, when we make those kind of statements to God, wouldn't it be wonderful if it was an easy journey? You know, if God says, you know, Michael has chosen to follow me, so for the rest of his life, it's going to be smooth sailing and there's going to be no problems at all. That'd be great if that were the case, wouldn't it? But that's not the way that it works. The walk home, the journey home, is a lot of times very tough. And we see that in the final part of this psalm in Psalm 23. The first part of the psalm, David is talking about God. David is talking about the wonder of his shepherd. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. I mean, just think about that. Green pastures, still waters, everything is great. But I want you to notice the shift that takes place in verse 4. David goes from talking about God in verses 1 through 3 to talking to God beginning in verse 4. And you say, why the change? Why the difference? You know, he's saying, he this, he this, he this, in the first three verses. And then the last part of, the, part of this particular chapter, he's saying you. Why does he go from talking about God to talking to God? Well, I want you to notice the change that takes place. We go from green pastures and still waters to talking about valleys and talking about death and talking about enemies. And so we begin to come face to face with this reality that that the walk home is not going to be easy. That just because we follow Christ, just because we serve Christ, just because we follow our good shepherd, that does not mean that this journey is going to be easy for us. And so I want to spend the next few minutes this morning just looking at three things that we see in these final three verses. Three things that we see from our Good Shepherd. Three characteristics of His leadership that I think will give us comfort and give us strength as we basically make our way towards home. The first thing I want you to see this morning in this passage, number one, is His comfort in hard times. His comfort in hard times. Look at verse four. He says, "Yea." Now, he starts off that that verse a little differently because, like I said, he's just finished talking about the paths of righteousness for the sake of the name of God in verse 3. He says, you know, God restores my soul. He leads me. You know, like, Again, these are all great things. But we get to verse 4 and we see that word yea or also. So the leadership, the same shepherd that leads you into those paths of righteousness for his name's sake also leads you when you experience what he's talking about in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so here he is talking about the comfort that God brings in hard times. There's a few words that I want us to look at in this verse. Number one, look at that word walk there. Yea, though I walk. He doesn't say, now now I don't know about you, but when it comes to hard times, when it comes to thinking about death, when it comes to thinking about sickness, when it comes to thinking about struggle, I would prefer that this passage said, yea, though I sprint through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I, you know, make it through it very quickly. But that is not what is pictured here. He says, yea, though I walk indicates that there is no change of pace at all. You continue to step by step, methodically going along, following your good shepherd, even though you're experiencing this valley of the shadow of death. He simply says, walk. There is no change of pace at all. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this word walk here. He said the word walk shows us, that sh- shows us a steady advance of a soul, now listen to this, which knows its road, knows its end, is resolved to follow the path, feels quite safe, and is perfectly calm and composed. So the picture you get here is not one of panic, not one of, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? But it's this nice steady walk. Yea, though I walk. Notice the next word, through. I walk through the valley. He doesn't say that I walk in the valley. He doesn't say that I dwell in the valley. He doesn't say that I stay in the valley. But he says very simply here that you walk through it. And these are some of the most helpful words that we can offer those who are grieving and those who are struggling to let them know that this, you know, you're walking through this. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to camp out, but you're progressing slowly through what? Through the shadow, through the valley of the shadow of death. Not death itself but just a shadow. So as you're following your good shepherd, and one of the greatest fears that everyone has is death, right? What's it going to be like? What am I going to experience? David says here, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why not death? Why do we not experience death itself? Because the good shepherd, the one who is out in front of you, has already tasted death for you. He has already absorbed That death. And so you and I now, instead of walking through death, we walk through the shadow because of what Christ has already done. Your good shepherd has accomplished these things for you. So now, like Paul says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can basically say, Oh death, where is thy sting? Oh grave, where is thy victory? Because you know that I'm not I'm not facing the real thing. I'm just going through a shadow. And as I heard an old preacher say one time, when was the last time you ever heard anyone get hurt by a shadow? Doesn't happen, does it? Christ has tasted death for you. Your good shepherd offers his comfort in these hard times. As you walk through these times of difficulty, he says that you simply face a shadow. A lot of times when we think about death, we look at it like it's the house itself. But like I heard one writer describe it, death is only the porch. When you leave here today, and you, know, you, you may have a beautiful, comfortable porch that you enjoy sitting at, you know, you know, sitting and swinging on or whatever, But when you go home this afternoon, you're not just going to stay on the porch. You might for a little while, but eventually you're going to go inside. Because the porch is only something that you pass through to get to the intended destination or the place that you're headed towards. And that's all that death is. It's just the porch. It's not the house itself. And so as we walk through this shadow headed towards our home, headed towards where we're really going, Notice what he says after that. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear. How much evil? A little bit? Some? Tiny amount? No evil. Zero. Now, we like to pretend, being ministers, that we don't fear things, that we don't worry about things. Nothing scares me. But I guarantee you, there's something that scares you to death today. There's something that eats away at your soul. There's something that just, just is, is on the inside of you that that scares you so badly, and you think, man, I don't want everybody to know that. You're scared of something. But I want you to notice what he says here. I will fear no evil, none, nothing, none at all. So how is that possible? I mean, how in the world could I ever get to the point in my life that I say, I don't, I don't fear any evil? Because of what he says next. Four. Thou art with me. You see, this this not fearing evil is not something that you can accomplish. We can't just purpose in our minds and say, you know what, I'm going to have boldness and courage because this is what I want to do. The only way that you can live this way, the only way that you can walk this way is by remembering who's with you. David says, I fear no evil because you're with me, God. That is why I don't fear. That is why I'm not worried. Knowing that he is there makes all the difference. I think Stephen said it last week. You know, when I was a kid, what made all the difference in the world was knowing that my dad was there. I mean, I, there was a time when I was at home, I was probably six or seven years old, that lightning hit, you know, hit our television. And for you younger guys, you have no concept of what the antenna is. If you're, if you're anywhere close to my age, and you had to stand out on a hill and turn it, and you had somebody inside going, a little bit more, you know, you know exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. And it took nothing to upset that TV reception. I mean, the slightest breeze could blow, and you'd lose a channel, right? But we had this antenna up on, you know, up on the hill above our house. And man, one night we were sitting in there, and lightning hit that antenna and I mean we we were sitting there watching a ball game and a ball of fire came in our window hit the back of our TV and sparks flew everywhere do you know what i did i jumped behind my dad i mean probably one of the quickest movements i've ever made in my entire life i mean you could have you could blink and i was behind my dad And, you know, it didn't matter, you know, that the TV was sparking, and, you you know, all these things were going on. I was with my dad. His presence made the difference. I wasn't afraid because I was behind him. And what David is saying right here is, look, you don't have to fear evil. You don't have to fear anything because God's with you. Guys, remember who's with you. Remember who's walking beside you. Remember who's going before you. He says right here, I will not fear because you are with me. And then notice what he says after that. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, a lot of times we look at this, this word rod there, and we think he's talking about the rod of discipline. But notice that it says, your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, I don't know where you are today, but there was not a single time in my life that my dad pulled out his belt that I looked at that belt and said, man, I'm comfortable. That that gives me peace. Thanks, Dad. You know, I mean, I mean there was a distinct sound when dad would remove the belt. You you would know it. You know, and he's holding the belt up, you know, like I'm coming after you with it. And I never once in my entire growing up years looked at that belt and thought, oh, I'm so comforted by that. That didn't that didn't comfort me. You see, he's not talking specifically here about the rod of discipline. But he's talking more specifically about the way that the shepherd would use the rod when the sheep would come back into the fold. He'd lay it down on their head and count them as they came in. He's talking about being reminded of whose you are. One of the greatest things that you can remind yourself of as you go through life and ministry is that one simple thing. Whose am I? Who's who's leading me? Who, Who has me? Who's going before me? That shepherd would come through and he'd lay that rod right on those sheep's heads as they, as they walked in and he would count them. You see, this reminds us that we're counted, that we're counted as one of his. The staff was a staff of rescue, and I'm not really going to spend a lot of time going into that. But he says, this rod and staff, they comfort me. So we see a picture of his comfort during hard times in verse 4. Look at verse 5. The second thing that we see here, he talks about his peace in stressful times, his peace in stressful times. Now notice this statement here. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Now, a lot of times people think that this marks a change in this psalm, that he goes from being the good shepherd to Christ being the host. But when you begin to study this word table in the Hebrew, you realize that shepherds would have a flat piece of land that they would often refer to as a table. And these these tables that they made reference to were places that they would lead the sheep to for rest and comfort and just to stop for a moment. And so he says right here that, you know, you prepare a table for me. You prepare this place of rest and this place of comfort. Notice the next phrase, in the presence of mine enemies. Do not miss the fact that he doesn't wipe out the enemy. It doesn't say, you you prepare a table for me, oh God, and you wipe out all my enemies. But he says, you prepare a table in the presence of them. So those enemies are still there. Can I tell you this morning... That your God has enemies. And because your God has enemies, you have enemies. We like to have this pie-in-the-sky view that that there's never going to be any struggles in ministry, and never going to be any trials, and everybody's just going to love me because I'm the pastor. No, they're going to hate you because they hate your God. They're going to come against you because they come against your God. And so what you have to remind yourself of is is passages like this right here where it says, okay, God prepares this place for me in the presence of the enemies. So in the middle of those enemies raging, in the middle of those enemies scheming and doing whatever they want to do, God prepares a place of rest for you. God prepares a place that you can find yourself resting. How is this possible? I want you just just to think with me for just a second. When you go back to verse 22, a beautiful study you can do is do 22, 23, and 24 together and look at Christ as the suffering servant in 22, the good shepherd in 23, and the coming king in 24. When you go back to verse 22, you see in verse 16 there, it says, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, for they pierced my hands and my feet. And, you know, he talks about all throughout this psalm about those who have gathered around him, gathered around this suffering servant, and essentially attacked him the reason you can have Psalm 23, the reason you can have that table prepared for you is because your suffering servant was encompassed by those who attacked him. So not only has he already taken care of death for you, but he has also wiped out every enemy you have, so much so that you can have a table right in the midst of their presence. He says simply, look, trust me, go with me, I've already taken care of it so that you can enjoy this place of rest. You can enjoy this place of rest that I have given you. He says right here, your enemies, will they're going to be around you, but they can't touch you. Then he talks about, in the next part of the verse, he talks about anointing my head with oil. This is another beautiful picture of what Christ does for us. But when you look at, look at the shepherd, first of all, you realize that as the sheep would come back in, you know, the shepherd would pour oil over their heads because sheep are dumb. Right? I mean, they're just not. I mean, like, like I said the last time I preached in here, how, how interesting is it that David, you know, likens himself to a sheep? I mean, a man after God's own heart. He's not saying, you know what, I'm pretty cool because God likes me. He says, Lord, I need a shepherd. I'm dumb. I get hurt. I get banged up. I get beaten down. And so he, here is, here's this, this beautiful picture of these wounded animals. I mean, sh- sheep go out, they, you know, they, get, they, they get hung up in briars, they get all these things, they get cut up. They get beaten up. And so as they come in, the shepherd takes this oil and he pours over their heads to heal all of their wounds. This is the exact same thing that we have in Christ. But guys, can I tell you this this morning? Unless you let the shepherd pour the oil on you, it won't happen. Now, just think about a sheep who would run and just run away. I mean, they're hurting, they're struggling, and they run away from the shepherd knowing that he's got the cure to what they need right there, but they go in the opposite direction. We do that a lot of times in ministry because of our pride and a lot of different things. We say, you know what? I can do this. You can't. Humble yourself. Go to the shepherd and say, Jesus, I need the oil poured over me. I'm struggling. I'm beaten down. I need you. But then notice what he says in the last part of it, my cup runneth over. When you think about the beauty of that statement, shepherds would have this big thing that they called a cup that they carried and it had a handle on either side. And so he gives this image of this shepherd carrying this big cup and it's just water sloshing over. Now, you know, now our first response to that would be, well, isn't that kind of wasteful because he's wasting water. You see, when, when you share the image, my cup is running over, you need to remember if God has given you extra, he wants you to share it with somebody else. Every single person in this room can say that they've been given grace on top of grace on top of grace. Why? So that you can in turn share that grace with somebody else. So that you can in turn share those blessings with someone else. And so he he says here, my cup is running over. Which brings us to the third thing. Number three, his goodness at all times. His goodness at all times. Look at verse six. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, I want to look at these words here just really quickly. Because that first word there, surely, and then also the word follow, kind of makes it sound like, you know, those things may be there, they may not. The word surely there in the Hebrew is quite often translated only. So, just think about it this way. Only, goodness and mercy, shall follow me. Now, you think about that word follow me there. It sounds like, we know... You can follow somebody from a long ways off, can't you? I mean, I could say I'm following Dr. Thompson. He's way back there in the back. But I'm not really close to him at all. What is so beautiful about this word follow is that it is most often translated as pursue. So you think about this imagery. Read it this way. Only goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Only goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life john piper told a pretty funny story that i think pictures this really well he said he said imagine it like this you've been away preaching somewhere you've been staying in a hotel we'll just use dr horton for example we'll say that maybe he's been off preaching a revival somewhere dr horton leaves the hotel he's on his way home he can't wait to get home to his wife and he's driving a little bit fast And Dr. Horton knows that he's been pulled over a few times in the past, and he knows if he gets pulled over one more time, it's going to be trouble. But he looks in his rearview mirror, and he sees the lights. So he's faced with an option. Do I pull over? Or do maybe I take off and hope that I don't get caught? So Dr. Horton makes a decision. I'm going to see if I can outrun him. Now, I'm not saying he would do this or has ever done this. This is a hypothetical situation, okay? But he makes this decision that he's going to do that. And so he takes off, but it's just no avail. He cannot shake the cop. And so the cop catches him. And so he's at the point that he says, okay, I've got to stop. I've got, got to pull over. He rolls down his window. Cop walks over, leans in the window. So you've got a guilty conscience there, don't you? And Dr. Horton can't do anything but say, yeah, I do. I just knew if I, you know, if I get caught again, it's going to be trouble. Well, about that time, the cop reaches into his pocket, and he pulls something out, and he goes, well, he said, the real reason I was trying to catch you is because you left your wallet back at the hotel. And not only that, you know that little thing that you filled out while you were at the hotel to win a free vacation? You also won that. Now, how do you think he would feel in that moment? That'd be, you know, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, I, I miss, you know. I so misinterpreted this, I so missed the point, I so missed the blessing because I was running away. Guys, if you have, you know, what what David says in this verse, if you have goodness and mercy pursuing you all of your life, are you going to keep running away from it or are you going to step into it? If those things are coming after you, Augustine said it this way, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. We're always running. We're always trying to get away. You know, and he's saying, look, these, these things are what's pursuing me. They're coming after me. So if you're running this morning, stop and allow him to pour these things out on you. Now, I want you to notice how he closes the psalm. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He doesn't say, I might. He doesn't say, it's, you know, I really hope. But he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever he's absolutely assured this is where he's going but what i want you to notice is that from the very start that the shepherd is with him every single step of the way the lord is my shepherd in verse one and in verse six it ends in the house of the lord that's something i think we forget we forget that he's with us every single step of the way We forget that he's not too busy worrying about something else that he doesn't see us in our current situation. We forget that we have a destination out in front of us that our good shepherd is not only with us and beside us but going before us to prepare for us. Guys, your final destination, if you follow Christ, is the house of the Lord. Where where all of this is going to pale in comparison. You see, what he's saying here is that I'm with you no matter what you experience, no matter what you go through. I am there. It's kind of like if you're here and you're a parent and you've ever had your child go and do something, maybe maybe for the first time, and you kind of follow them off at a distance. It's kind of like the little boy whose friend invited him over to play and his dad said, okay, sure. You know, being big and saying, I'm going to trust you to do this. But the dad followed him all the way there. And just before the little boy walked in the door, he looked back and he saw his dad kind of duck behind a tree. His dad was with him and wanted to make sure he got to where he was going. That's what Psalm 23 tells us. Someday you're going to get there. Someday the one who saved you and the one who called you and the one who sustains you is going to open the door and say, Welcome home. And in that moment, all of these worries and all of these fears and all of these things that we allow to just distract us and pull our focus and our attention away from where they need to be, they're going to seem pretty small. They're going to seem pretty insignificant when you stand in the presence of your good shepherd who says, look, I've been with you the whole time. I've never left you. That time that you were, you know, you were there crying in your study and praying and saying, what, what am I going to do next? I was with you. I was going ahead of you and preparing your next step." That time that you were staying up till 2 a.m. studying for finals, thinking, how in the world am I going to get through this? He said, I was right there with you. And then he's going to throw open the door and say, Come on in. All week, I kept thinking about, as I thought about this passage of Scripture, I kept thinking about the song, In In Christ Alone. And it's one of my favorite songs, and I love the last verse of that song. And I want you to listen now, the last verse of that song fits into this particular song. The words of that that third verse simply say this, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. That is the message of your good shepherd. So guys, stand in that. Follow him wherever he takes you, wherever he leads you, and never forget that he's with you the whole time and he's going to be waiting on you at the end. I like to run. And I love running with my boys. Man, and my oldest one's getting ready to move, so I won't be running with him anymore for a while. But I haven't been able to keep up with him for a long time. They're both very, very way faster than I am. But every time that we've ever run a 5K or 10K or whatever that we've raced against, I always get them there before the race starts, and I say, guys, I'll see you at the finish line. And I make it my first priority when I get there to find them. Like I said, they beat me, but I make it to get to them to let them know that I'm there. That's what God tells us. I'll see you at the finish line. I'm with you through the whole race, but I'm waiting on you at the end. Let's all pray together.